and we are live with the our 185th episode of Absolute Apsec. I'm Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. On Twitter, wow, I can't talk today, uh, Daniel. I'm joined today by Daniel Ting at Hoodie Pony on Twitter. Uh, Daniel, say hi. Hi from Australia. <laughs> of all places. <laughs> Um, as you can see, I am missing uh, my regular co-host for the day. Uh, CK Tricky is out sick, um, but there's been so much going on, especially in Australia over the last week, that we wanted to bring Daniel on and talk about it because it has to do a lot with application security and the crocs and socks of AppSec. Um, before we dive into it with our, you know, our fun little uh, initial take, I did want to... Shout out to DeepSec. Um, if you haven't heard, Ken and I will be at DeepSec in Austria in a couple of months in November. Uh, I know we've had some interest in um, our Practical Secure Code Review course in the EU. This is the opportunity. It's a public course and it is available. Please come join us if you can. Um, outside of that, I know I like Daniel and I were saying before the podcast, we haven't seen anything for a while. Daniel, um, was one of the organizers at some point of AppSec Day in you know, Melbourne. Melbourne. Um, yes. And uh, we haven't talked for quite a while because of, you know, global pandemics and, you know, life happening. Um, yeah. So what, what happened to 2021 and 2022? I don't know. I, I don't know anymore, right? Like I, the fact <laughs> that it is 2022 is surprising to me, right? Wait, for some reason it? I see that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's 2022? No, no, no. It, it's still 2020. Don't worry about it. It's all good. It's all good. Right. Okay. <laughs> it's 2020 take two, right? Take two. Yes. There you go. 2020 take two or three at this point. I don't know anymore. Um, so so tell us a little bit about, well, okay, maybe we should just jump straight into Optus and get that out of the way. And then we can, you know, we can catch up as we have time. So um let's start with uh, uh do you do you want to share that video uh we'll start there uh okay sure sure uh, is it the yeah the spicy takes from um <laughs> the spicy takes from twitter about yeah, the bridge. Yeah, yeah. uh let's see if that actually works share screen window let's see if it let's see if it works Okay. Yeah. Let's see if we get any audio. If not, we can, we can do a running commentary. Okay. Oh, I'm not hearing anything there. Um, but the, yeah. Sorry, yeah. I'm still I, not. Nope. You're, no, you're fine. No audio. Yeah. We're not, I'm not getting audio, which is, which is not surprising the way that audio actually stre streams through here. Um, but the, I mean, the interesting thing here is exactly what the, you know, news is calling out, right? Um, the fact that uh, they're saying Australia is 10 plus years behind. And maybe we should drop in the initial or we should give a little bit of background first. Yeah, I think what happened. <laughs> so uh, Optus recently had a breach, right? So who is Optus? For those of us that are not in Australia, um, this is not a name that I necessarily recognize, you know, coming from the States. Who is Optus, Daniel? Yeah, okay. So Optus is Australia's second largest telco. Mm -hmm. um, there, it, it's, it's practically 
Optus and Telstra. Okay. Um, with the third far behind, um, Vodafone, mm-hmm. uh, being our third telco, um, Optus is huge. Um, they are also a, they are practically Singtel. Okay. Which is yep. the Singaporean national carrier. All right. Yes. Okay. So, so Optus owns, I mean, you know, for the equivalent here is like AT&T or T-Mobile, like a large telecommunications provider that, yeah, I, I mean, that runs and owns other businesses as well. Right. So it's not just, um, yeah. No, not so, uh, so. Not so much. Singtel, Singtel is the parent company. Okay. Which owns the Optus Australia business unit of sorts. Okay. Um, I don't know. We'll, we'll look at the Optus press release yes. for. <laughs> yes. For, for, for the who details. they are. Yeah. 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 I'm not their spokesperson. So uh, <laughs> the, the rough idea is that they are Australia's second largest telco. Okay. Um, you practically have, for most Australians, you have practically two choices a uh, tree maybe uh it's like sprint yes yeah <laughs> uh, okay it's, it, i mean it's like the third choice is like sprint it's it's great in certain places but very specific places only yeah. um yeah so optus is the second largest in australia and that is very significant yeah um because and to make things more interesting we yeah so this means that um, they have a lot of information and yes, their customer profiles kind of got breached. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, this is it, right? Anytime that there is a significant breach, the amount of, the amount of customers that are affected obviously tie into how significant the breach is, what the criticality is. I mean, I did post up the link directly from Optus about right, like their notification of customers um, on the cyber attack. But I, you know, that's always the spin from the company as far as what's actually happened and what is going on underneath the hood. And I know you were sharing some of the the Twitter links that were associated with the, with the breach or people that are digging into the actual detail behind the scenes. So it was the, I think it was the minister of, was that finance or that was on one of the local channels talking about it? Um, so, um, for reference, ABC News is our national broadcaster. Okay. Um, they they try to keep as neutral as possible. So, yeah. Um, she is our... Minister for Cybersecurity. Okay. Minister of Home Affairs and Cybersecurity. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, she basically just went out. Um, so just to quote um, the interviewer, um, the journalist basically goes, hey, uh, so what we're hearing is that it's a sophisticated attack. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, paraphrasing a bit. Uh, but then Clara's uh, response is so quotable. Oh, no. It's oh, not. No. It's not. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh and, and that, that was the interesting thing here, right, is that it's not a sophisticated attack. So what was the actual attack? Um, so IDOR, 
uh, insecure <laughs> direct object <laughs> reference yep. uh, on a public API endpoint that is just sitting there on the internet with no off. Yeah. Is, it is basically what... Um, so the journalist who was following all this up, Jeremy Kirk, um, basically got in contact with the people who were selling the data. Oh, and wow. Like, yeah. Um, and he was like, uh, what... I've heard from my sources that it's a public endpoint. Which is it? This endpoint. Which endpoint did you did you touch? Did, did you access? And it was like, yep, basically that. So, <laughs> so and I, I mean, as, as surprising as that is, well, okay, as surprising as that sounds, if you're you know if you're not doing penetration testing or you're not in the space, um, publicly available endpoints with IDOR is one of those. Yes, but not overly, you know, not overly shocking if you're testing any of these systems, right? Um, you know, mobile applications specifically or React, uh, you know, web applications that are interacting with APIs um, have a tendency to you know, pull back data uh, based on a specific reference counter, right? So I log into an application, I authenticate, I get back a user ID, and then I look up data via the API using that user ID. Now, if the user ID is something like, oh, a 10-digit number, it's very easy to change, you know, digit nine to digit zero and actually see if there's other content or a one to a two and view somebody else's information, right? Um, and I, I believe that's exactly what happened here. I, I mean, this feels very similar to the AT&T breach back when iPhones were first launched here in the States where somebody noticed that during enrollment process, there was an endpoint at AT&T that had a customer ID in it. And all they had to do was change a one to a two and then they could pull information back. But it, feel, it does feel like this was taken further because the data was being sold and being you know, peddled somewhere else for, right, at, you know, for nefarious use or malicious use correct i mean we can speculate uh we can speculate yeah. wildly that's what we're here for is the speculation <laughs> i mean like reading the original post so my understanding is that the breach forum which it was posted to the original post is now gone so all we have left is screenshots from the various tweets that uh, journalists have gone and looked around. Um, yeah, uh, from from the original tweet, I guess opportunistic. <laughs> Hello? Hey, uh, sorry. my uh, I'm just a little bit... I, I can hear you now. Daniel, can you still hear me? Yes, I can. Is it okay. my internet? <laughs> it might be mine. I, I have a, you know, Comcast likes to mess with me. Uh, okay. All, All right. All good. All good. It's it's settled now. Whatever happened. <laughs> Can you uh, hear I, me I, still? I, I'm yeah. not an Optus. <laughs> <laughs> you are being, uh, yeah, <laughs> for being dust because you're talking about it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, Sorry. 
Um, I think we. Uh, something's frozen again. Uh, ah, hello. Welcome hello. back. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I am I, I, I'm I, still I, here. I, yeah. I think yeah. your network. Your network is stinky. It might yeah, it is. It does not want to let me out. All right. Sorry about that. Daniel. <laughs> oh good. Oh good. Alrighty. I guess I, I guess where were we? <laughs> Before yeah. all our network travel the troubles. <laughs> um I mean when you when you when most cyber criminals or you know attackers see something like that, it's when you basically can take the data that is and based on the data that we see that has been exposed, it's basically the same amount of data that you need to take out a loan, mm-hmm. open a PayPal account, apply for various things. Inherently, we have seen how much those data goes for. Um, if you want to talk about fools, um, fools go for a very known value. Yes. Um, this is as good as it gets within Australia. Then you have passport numbers. Um, what else did the uh, press release call out? Um, yeah, so we see. have our equivalent, uh, we have uh, our healthcare numbers. Um, in Australia, we call it the Medicare card. Um, there are some healthcare IDs in there. Uh, according to later reports. Um, so everything you need to impersonate anyone is basically in the data dump. Uh, that got, goes for a lot. And anyone who's opportunistic, well, <laughs> what would you do? Yeah. Right? Yep. Well, and, and it, it seems it seems like the, they've taken it and instead of trying to actually run those attacks themselves they've done it they've just collected the data and they're offering it for sale on the deep web or on the dark web somewhere um yeah i mean not i i think that was a very interesting move if you take a look at the original post for the data um they did ransom it back to optus first which was a very interesting move i think yeah um, and, and it was way below what they would have been fined by our privacy commissioner. So it gives me a feel that this may be slightly more sophisticated than what it feels to be. <laughs> because the number, and I, I've, I've seen, some, this is not my own commentary, I've seen some other pundits uh, and commentaries around uh, the InfoSec sphere here that basically analysis shows that this person nailed the, the pricing yeah. <laughs> on the data. Um, and it seems very targeted to Optus. Okay. Um, <laughs> because at, I, I believe he was selling a million for a million dollars. Um, the fine would have come out a couple of millions. So 
this person set it just low enough to make it attractive. What... Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And it's a, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. You're fine. I, I mean, I think the analysis there is that the, the, those criminals on the deep web or whoever it is that's, you know, selling breach data has started to do more analysis of the companies after they get access. So if they're going after a small, you know, law firm somewhere, they're going to, they're going to limit the amount to basically what it's going to cost them to restore or actually get back into it um, in order to make it right more attractive to just pay that instead of, you know, moving away or, you know, contacting the authorities, what have you. Um, so, I, I mean, in that case, right, do you think that Optus actually paid that amount and they still kept dropping that or was it, you know, they just ignored them? Um, well, I, I'd like to quote uh, somebody, uh, quote Risky Business podcast and, yeah. and basically say, um, well, Australia released the hounds. <laughs> um, it is no secret uh, that, you know, the our intelligence agencies, our law enforcement agencies, um, the Australian Federal Police, the equivalent in the US would be the FBI, uh-huh. um, our Signals Directorate, which equivalent of the NSA, um, is hunting. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they have, I, if I were the seller, well, there's a bit of heat. You don't really want to move the wares yep. when the hounds are hunting you. Yes. Um, so they did. Um, yeah. So they did in the end just put out a message that to the effect of there are just too many eyes uh, did a apology of some sort. But I mean, it's still it's still pretty massive data breach. I, I, I have no illusions that this data has been accessed by more than this person. <laughs> yeah. Pretty sure. Um, and given that I've heard from more than a few sources that this API endpoint has been kind of open for more than a few, more than a while. Yeah. Well, and I, okay, and that that's the other question is how long has that data been accessible, right? That's always one of the things that we kind of go back to. Who's it been accessed by? I mean, like I start to think about it from a like a blue team perspective and a forensic perspective. All right, if I'm sitting on the team or you're sitting on the team that is responsible for this API endpoint, how do you go? How do you figure out what the blast radius is? Like, how many people are affected? How much data has been leaked out? Um, Because it would be pretty obvious somebody running through, you know, hundreds of thousands of records and trying to retrieve it all from even like multiple endpoints, just because most most interactions with this sort of a database are going to be a single request response, right? I'm going to ask for my customer ID. I'm not going to ask for 500 customer IDs. Yeah. um, Reading, I'm not a... 100% 100% sure. There's just way too much that has happened. And a lot of information. But I think I read somewhere on the Twitterverse um, that basically what happened here is they tripped a API rate limiting trigger. That's okay. how it got found out. 
Yeah. Um, what that is, how that's configured. We don't know. Yeah. We, we, we don't know. Um, based on some initial hand waviness, uh, voices in the wind through the grapevine, um, they would have had API controls in place. Um, it's just, what was that limit? And I guess even from a detection and response perspective, yeah, they may be able to go back and look at the logs, but first and foremost, why is there an unoffed API mm-hmm. with PII directly on the internet? Yeah. And fundamentally, where uh, where has that risk <laughs> assessment come yeah. in? And, you know, like... We look at OWASP top ten. Idor is top, is is kind of on there, yes. right? Um, he's been there for a while now. Um, you know, securing public endpoints and making sure that your endpoint is off is also a very well known security control. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, um, yeah. At, at this point, they left. <sighs> I think I, I made this comment to somebody who was asking. I was like, hey, you know, like, is this sophisticated? I'm like, yeah, it's it's like, you know, having a store on Main Street with really shiny goods in there, leaving the doors open, walking away with nothing, with no security, like just leaving the doors open and walking away. And when somebody comes in and helps themselves to the goods, you cry foul that you have been attacked by insert nation state here yeah yeah this yeah (laughs) this is not an apt right i well and that's exactly what the minister said right this was not a sophisticated attack this is this is what we you know like we lovingly refer to as the crocs and socks of application security right like um (laughs) it's it's number one in the OWASP top 10 insecure direct object reference has been around for years we see it broken Um, access control yeah yeah, we, the APIs that you're designing, anyone's designing is going to discover this. Um, and I and I did tell you, you know, prior to us going live, I've been dealing as well with, uh, you know, helping customers with bug bounty uh, reports recently. And it it's no, uh, it's no huge. Oh, okay. So uh, this, like this company as well, very well-known company in the States, um, has APIs that their mobile and web application use to look up customer data, to do different things, to interact with their platform, store documents, store images, what have you. Um, but very similar attacks have been going on and very similar reports. I shouldn't say attacks. Very similar reports have been coming in uh, for their bug bounty program because of the way that it was designed that any customer can look up any data in the API with you know, using a single, you know, string of digits. And sometimes it's a little hard to discover what somebody else's like customer ID is. It wasn't as enumerable as this one. Um, But once you have that customer ID, the ability to get access to their data, change their data, take over accounts is all predicated on the fact that you've already authenticated once, right? You logged into the system, but there's no other authorization controls on top of that. Um, And so it doesn't necessarily... 
I don't know. Like I'm not super shocked by the vulnerability in and of itself. I am shocked by kind of the, the brazen attitude that it's out on the internet um, that it took so long to protect. Right. That's, that's where I go to. I think there's two things, right? First is the um, just pure access control that is unoffed. So Mm -hmm. IDOR aside, insecure direct object reference aside, this is unoffed on the internet. So, in and of itself, that is questionable. Yep. Um, and, and I think that's one control, the parameter control, right? Um, then if we are talking about IDOR, I but it's off, um, there is a s- token of some sort, uh, or you need the user to be authenticated and then you enumerate that way, right? Yeah. That's, a, yeah. that's, that's a problem, but that's a different kind of problem yeah. from a potentially now critical risk to maybe a medium a medium high or high risk situation yep right um so yeah just trying to pull that apart and say well <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah like it, it's definitely something that should have been detected earlier there's multiple programs that are that are in place or multiple you know multiple activities that would have identified this. And I, I mean, even if we go back to just a simple, like you were saying, a threat model of, okay, this is an API that exists, um, right? What is it that we should, should we do to protect it? Um, and, you know, I, I don't know, right? Like we can't dig too much into the, you know, the organizational dynamics that run into this and why it's been protected or why it hasn't been. Um, just cause you know, we're not sitting there and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to pile on cause I'm sure they have security people that are internal that are throwing their hands up in the air and, you know, have been running around screaming about things previously, um, because most organizations do. So for some reason, this, this API was just either missed or it was outside of the scope. Um, I know I've run into that in the past, speaking of this other customer, right? Like doing, you know, assessments for them and being told that the API was off limits, right? Because it was the golden goose, right? Like it's being used by all these different resources. And for some reason that made it off limits as opposed to, hey, let's really dig into it. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, you know, it, it feels pretty discoverable and easy to see, especially after the fact, right? That's, that's a typical breach. Um, but man, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like not to pile on too, too much as well. It's like APIs can sometimes be really difficult to discover. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Especially if they get really complex and this is piping from 24 different messaging systems. (laughs) Um, like, well, where this is, but that said, um, that say the um, this was a pretty like it's their main API. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. if, if if we look at other trades, like um, say this one, um, Seth, so if you can just yeah, uh, and if you look at the details out there. API.optus.com.au. <laughs> yeah. That sounds very much to me like their primary API <laughs> endpoint. 
Yeah, I, I mean, it would have been targeted, right? Like a bug bounty, like whoever is going to going to take a look at that. So at, at some point, there's there there's a lack of oversight that's happening, or you know, decisioning that's being made without taking into account the risks that are associated with it. Um, I, I I mean, I know I know the 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 PII details that you're talking about there as well, right? Like it, it's it's insecure direct object reference, but they're also returning um, significant levels of PII that probably shouldn't be returned to any customer, no matter what their, you know, what their situation is, if they need to know something like, so in the States, like the social security number, right? Guess what? You, you don't tell them that social security number ever, right? It doesn't matter if they're calling an API or, you know, you may give them, you know, a couple of digits so they can recognize whether or not it's their social security number, but you don't actually return the full plain text of a lot of that info. Um, and that's, and I think that's the other thing, right? Like this is a combination of authentication, authorization, secure, sensitive data exposure, right? Like it's just this um, almost comedy of errors that's happening all like this, all in this one exploitation path. Um, and of course, somebody's going to take it and you know and run with it if they discover it. I, you know, yeah, yeah. And 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 the question is: is all this like looking at the data? Um, for those in the Slack, you, you would have seen a small s- snippet of what that looks like. Um, why is that data in a public in a customer or a publicly retrievable endpoint even. Yep. Um, that's, first is why is it retained? Yeah. Um, that's very concerning, right? Um, and speaking about legislation, uh, what about GDPR? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pretty sure there are a few EU citizens in that list. Yeah. Well, and that's going to be the question, right? Like, what are the penalties that come out of this? I know we were talking about, you know, already there's discussions of class action lawsuits against Optus for it. Um, But once the data is out there, it's out there, right? Um, And like, there's no getting that back. If you look at some of those previous breaches from, you know, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, like whatever, you know, from the States, right? That's just it. It's on the deep web. Somebody has a copy of it. It's going to get resold, sold, resold, resold. And the people that it damages are those that whose data is in that set that are never going to be right. Like two years of, uh, you know, credit monitoring, just two years of credit monitoring can't change my birthday. No, no. Or your, you know, or your driver's license number or right. Any of those details that you need to take out a loan. Um, It's just. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and if, you know, if I think just flipping the whole conversation around, if as security professionals, I think we need to think of better ways to do identity verification mm-hmm. beyond proof of documentation or proof of this. Because fundamentally, if all this data is going to get collected and breached, yeah, and, you know, like fingerprints and all of that, like, you can't change that once that's breached. Yep. Um, yeah. And, and, uh, yeah. It, I mean, we've, we've, we've always had this concept of, um, you know, it's a matter of 
it, of when, not if, right? When it comes to data that we have. Um, so we protect things like passwords. Like we put so much time and effort into, in, in, into hashing passwords, doing it in a secure manner. Um, and then something like this happens and it's all plain text and right. This has a larger effect than those password breaches, right? It just will um, over time. And I think you're right. Like we don't think enough about um, identity and what the, what the real risk of this data getting out is um, because yes, it'll affect stock price for Optus. I'm sure, you know, there's going to be lawsuits. There's going to be financial penalties, especially with GDPR and some of those other regulations that are out there. Um, but again, it's not necessarily Optus that has to live with this in 10 years. Um, it, and, yeah. And, and put it this way for companies, if companies fail, companies fail. Nobody yeah. like it's like a tree dropping in a pin dropping in a forest fine cool you may miss the service whatever cool another one will will come up if the product is necessary right if not it's just the evolution of commerce yes um but you know if as an individual my life is now impacted the the lives of people i care are impacted the lives of our troops are impacted. Yeah. Because now people who need to, you know, who keep their privacy for various reasons, uh, including, you know, not wanting uh, other people to take out loads in their names or open up credit lines or phone numbers, uh, et cetera, in their name. Yeah. Can't change any of that. Government documents and I because the government can always just come in and go like, yep, as a once-off, we'll change those documents, whatever, right? Like, um, Victoria just actually did that. Uh, like as a once-off, we'll build Optus for all the driver's license changes that you need. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, which is, I, I mean, honestly, that's a better response than we've seen in the states. Um, on breaches of this magnitude, right? Like I've never, I've never he heard a discussion here on, especially like the, when the Fannie Mae breach happened of trying to do any sort of social security number update or identity updates um, to account for, for breaches. Um, and so like at the very least, there's some forethought there as far as, all right, this is a one-off and we're just going to charge Optus for it. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, at least there is some sort of a response here in the States. Everybody's like, ah, YOLO, you only live once, right? It, you know, you'll be fine. Just monitor your credit for the next 50 years. Right? That's, that's been the, you know, no one and, cares. And that's, and, and that's like a personal impact, right? Mm -hmm. um, even if you say monitor your credit, um, I, I saw a comment uh, on Twitter. Uh, I, I'm not going to take credit for this because it was brilliant. Um, I think the tweet went like, uh, so we are one company who has breached, uh, who has lost our data is now giving our data to a company which has known to have lost data to monitor the data which they lost. Yes. <laughs> um, like, uh, is there a bigger conversation then about credit agencies? Mm -hmm. 
holding just everyone just holding way too much data. Um, I mean, moving aside from that, it's also the consideration where, you know, how do we then do identity with data minimization? If data, more data is not the answer from a systems perspective, from a um, AppSec perspective, what can we do? Because yeah. like um, you need to still identify the individual, mm -hmm. right? How do we then, I don't know the answer, right? But how do we then identify the individual without having to keep a buckload of data? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's a, the, it's, it's a problem without a great solution right now. Um, I mean, we have identity providers, uh, but th they're, they are all built on the premise that they need more data in, in order to identify more people, right? Like there's a reason that companies go to, you know, credit providers or, you know, or the credit monitoring systems, right? Because they already know about everyone. Um, yeah. And, and I don't, but I don't know how you get around that, right? Because at some point you have to have a trusted entity tell you whether or not that person is indeed who they say they are. Um, so you've got to have some sort of identity solution in place, but whether or not that's actually secure at, at this point, it pro it, we've proven over and over again that we cannot secure that data. So can we take zero trust? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Like, I mean, we, we are talking a lot about, you know, how do we then, you know, assume breach, mm -hmm. right? how do we then design an identity solution that is in an assumed breach environment? I think yeah. it's, it, it's a bit more of a conversation that needs to be had. <laughs> it, it is right. But it, but it is it like breaches like this are just going to push it to the forefront. Um, I don't think there's a solution out there that, you know, that takes into account identity for, you know, uh, zero trust environments or identity, right? Like, because at some point, like there, it's implicit in those environments that yes, you know, there's zero trust until we've identified and authorized someone, and then they're able to flow and get to the services, the you know, the systems that they need to. And I mean, yeah. to to bring that back to um, say the U.S. side of things, right? The office, the office of personnel management. Yeah, yeah. OPM breach. I, yeah, I, people are still dealing with that, right? How many, how many people had to, you know, relocate or witness protection just because they are involved with things that is definitely, you know, there yeah. are adversaries. Um, there are people who would like to get access to these people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, and there's physical consequences to these breaches, um, right? Like, you know, I, I think some of the initial ones 15 years ago when the breaches happened, it was always like this. Um, I think back to like the Target breach, everybody kind of like shrugged. I think Target had a small dip in their, you know, uh, in, the, in their stock price, but everybody moved on pretty quickly. But these ones that have happened more recently where it is verification data, it's authentication, identity data, 
um, the, the consequences are becoming more and more apparent in the real world. It's not just, hey, somebody stole my credit card. At this point, it's identity theft. Um, but, uh, you know, to your point on the zero trust, right? Like, um, I, I posted a link from the Wikipedia article on zero trust, right? Um, the main concept behind zero trust, the zero trust security model is never trust, always verify. That's great, but what happens when your verification is broken and you can't trust your verification, right? That that's the exact problem that we're running into here is I can take these, you know, what what is it like 10 million records from this breach and I could create a verification system based upon this and then start to manipulate manipulate it. Um well, I mean yeah. like for example, the international covid certificates Mm -hmm. um sorry the covid vaccination certificates yeah that assumes the data is public mm -hmm. but it also allows you to verify that this is actually representing the person etc etc so i think there are some more modern thinking around that uh, yeah. based on certificates and all of that so uh, i i don't see it as a lost cause it's just you know i guess for better or worse, a, a cry for help to the community yeah. and go like, hey, as people in this space, we need to have those conversations because when the leaders start looking at us and go like, hey, you're the security person. <laughs> yeah. How do we solve this? Uh, what are your thoughts? What are the considerations? Then we need to, you know, be able to have that at least taught. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I think some of the public-private, you know, the certificate-based authentication um, could help on this, especially if, if those certificate authorities or whoever it is that's issuing those, again, is someone that you trust. If it's coming from the government, if it's coming from other places, there's ability to actually, you know, revoke certificates, upgrade certificates. I, I think that's a lot of what we run into is we've got all of these systems in place that depend on static pieces of information for identity rather than something that is dynamic, something that can change over time that we can revoke and reissue in order to take into account uh, breaches, right? Assumption of, um, yeah, assumption of compromise. Um, and when that compromise happens, if all we have to do is, oh, okay, we reissue a new certificate, we send you out a new, I, I mean, you know, even if it is a you know, an RFID chip or whatever it happens to be, we can send that out. There's a cost associated with it, but at the very least, there is a, an upgrade path. And I think the other thing is that we need to normalize um, that we don't actually need to know who you are. We just need to trust your identity. So concepts like proxy sets. Yes. Right. Uh, can definitely be used from a technical solution perspective um, where you never expose the real identity, but you use a proxy certificate or signed identity, etc., to assert trust Yes, in the same sense. Yeah. Um, so if hypothetically, you know, a certain provider gets compromised, all you see is a whole bunch of <clears throat> proxies. Yeah. Yep. Proxy data, uh, things that are not. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's an interesting, you know, problem to, to solve. And I, I wonder how we actually 
get to that next step. But it is something that, you know, if, if you're listening to the podcast, you should be thinking about, thinking about, right? Like if we assume compromise at every step of, um, every step of the way, like every part of our security onion, right? Like whatever you want to call it, um, every layer of security, uh, then we're going to do things in a slightly different manner in order to secure that data and to, in order to verify that trust, uh, because we're not going to assume that our data is always pristine, right? Behind the scenes or whoever we're calling, right? Like when they do get breached, at, how do we you know, upgrade quickly? How do we make those changes? Um, it's just another piece in that security puzzle that you probably need to put into place. And especially if you're, you know, a security person involved with your organization, security controls, and you have a call center, right? Yeah. Changing the script, the way, the mechanisms of, you know, can we have a challenge response um, mechanism rather than going, hey, so can you tell me the last four digits of your credit card number? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, what what's what's your um your your surname and uh your mother's maiden name? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it, it's all of those uh yeah all of those mechanisms that we like that we use to prove identity. That um I mean I you know I start to think about you went straight to like the physical like you know dial up which is you know again an identity solution that we don't always think about as like developers or even application security people right like we have a tendency to jump straight to username, password fields, and maybe 2FA. Uh, and then, you know, we push a little bit into, oh, forgot password, like the other mechanism, technical mechanisms that we have in an application to prove somebody's identity. Um, but there's there's so much more that's out there in the physical world that we have to worry about um, from a security perspective that has a direct impact on those technical controls that we put into place for a website, for a mobile application, whatever it is that we're developing. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't think there's a, you know, I mean, obviously we're not going to solve it on the podcast today, but it's, (laughs) it's quite a bit. It's an interesting solutioning kind of like thought experiment. Right. But I think just, you know, changing gears a bit, like there is going to be flaws, right. As as we can Mm -hmm. see, there's a lot of holes in the whole Swiss cheese. Security yes. model. Um, the thing that baffled a lot of people, and um, with with this Optus breach, is that there was no way to communicate with Optus. Yeah, um, I'm, I've heard from more than a few people, and if you go on Twitter and just look around, you see as much that people for a while have been trying to notify Optus of the issue, and like in one of the links that was shared earlier, uh, you could see somebody automating access of the Optus data using an an authenticated public API. Mm-hmm. And that, I, I guess that's the scary bit. It has uh, the ability to change stuff as well. I, I'm guessing. I've, I've not taken any closer look at it than skim the tweets. Uh, just before the podcast started, but yeah, I, I mean, it's not a great look, right? Because I'm not even, I don't know, like if I just Google things for like Optus bug bounty program, right? I see some open bug bounty reports for Optus. Um, I wonder if those have all come out recently with the with the focus here. Um, 
but I'm also seeing, right, like the third or fourth response is manage cybersecurity service solutions from Optus Enterprise, right? And so I'm like, okay, you, you, yeah, yeah. Sorry, go on. No, no, I was just going to say they're not like, they're not dogfooding their own solution, right? You know what I mean? Like, <coughs> okay, you, you know, maybe, yeah. Yeah, you want to know what's even more amusing? There is like Optus owns Trustwave. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yes yeah oh yeah well-known security right well-known security firm yes yes a very well-known security firm that i know finds this sort of problem for other locations right um yeah and and we are seeing basic things like there is no security security security.txt Mm-hmm. False. Um, so you, even if any good Samaritan comes by and goes like, hey, by the way, you have a problem here. How do you responsibly disclose any of this? Because yeah. people make mistakes and there are a lot of good Samaritans and a lot of us in AppSec, you know, we'll see, oh, yeah, that shouldn't, that's, that's not right. That ain't right. Let's let somebody know. How do you you can't even do that. Um, and I've heard stories of people trying to reach out to Optus and disclose this. And they go like, no, no, we have we have good security. Like, we are a security provider as well. Have you heard of Trustwave? Yeah. <laughs> they, they send you to Trustwave when they, yeah, somebody reports a security problem. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, like I said, it feels, it feels a lot like a comedy of errors, right? somebody and, and probably like miscommunications between teams i am sure there's you know hundreds of people involved across multiple organizations and right like this this is one of those like it slipped through the cracks but it's a pretty big slip through the cracks right it's not a oh there was 200 you know user identities breached we're talking 10 million it's that's massive yeah and even if it, it... I think that's where, you know, um, that becomes even worse because there is no way to report it. Yeah. Even if it, it, like things will slip through the cracks, that's just normal, right? Because people miss things. People are people. People make mistakes. But if there is no way to do responsible disclosure, well, the only way to disclose is to potentially wait for a threat actor, an adversary, or someone nefarious yeah. to, you know, take advantage of that. And then you get notified in the news. Yep. Which, um, it, yeah. I, I mean, it feels like the way that we did things 20 years ago, right? You know, before we had security teams and security professionals and, you know, application security and threat, act, you know, actual discussions about threats. Um, and so, like... Yeah, disclose.io, yes. So shout out to uh, Disclose.io. <laughs> I mean, like, simple steps, right? Like, yeah. go get a Disclose.io um, responsible disclosure template, generate the thing, drop it there, pop a security contact. The yeah. minimal. Yeah. That goes to an actual real person, not level one customer support, which does not understand security. So that yeah. it can be validated. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, this, this also goes right. Like I, I know, you know, we've been going for a little while talking about off this, yeah. but you know, we, the, the other big one that was in the news recently, like um, has been the Uber hack that happened, um, which was more of a social engineering engagement um, or a social engineering hack that then led to, Oh, you know, discovering some bad practices and plain text passwords in order to take over accounts. Um, let me see. I'll post up there quickly. Like here's Uber's update. And then like one of the analysis um, on it as well, but it does feel like it's, there's, it's, there's been quite a bit of activity around different um, breaches in the news recently. And, you know, I know some of our initial podcasts, like we got into uh, kind of breach fatigue, which is again, what I fear is going to happen, right? The, the fact that, uh, you know, from a state, from a, you know, a community perspective in the States, the Optus hack, like really hasn't been covered that well. I'll be honest, right? It's just not like, I know it's been in the news and we've been seeing quite a bit of it on the on the Slack channel um, just because we have people that are interested in, in that space. But if I look around the rest of you know my space here um, in the States, we just haven't seen a lot associated with Optus being you know even discussed, which is surprising to me. So yeah. uh, if memory serves to be right, um, I believe the U.S. is working on mand- mandatory breach disclosure laws. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that's uh, in in effect yet but um in australia we have mandatory breach disclosure laws hence why (laughs) um it's a bit more of a story thing but that's the thing when the mandatory breach disclosure laws first came into effect what we saw was breach fatigue was definitely real yeah um because everyone um not wanting to fall uh file of the laws basically just disclosed everything um it was actually real like our breach disclosure laws were so sensitive that if let's just say i was authorized to see the data but seth you aren't but we both work for the same company it just so happened we are on slightly different teams that's a that and and that seeing that data may cause harm then it's that a is a, that's a breach and you need to disclose that uh-huh so we had a lot of uh, information, a lot of breaches that got disclosed to the OAIC, which is our Information Privacy Commissioner, um, and that basically caused a whole bunch of fatigue. And everyone's like, "Okay, so now what? Like, yeah. cool, my, you told me my data, and it's well mean. It, it it means well, so that people are empowered because the first thing you can do is to know that your data has been breached before you can take any action, but." The next step is so now what? <laughs> yeah. Um, and the number of times I've been like friends who know that I work in do this, and it's like, hey, um, my identity has just been stolen. Uh, what help. do I do? Yeah, <laughs> what do I do? Yeah, <laughs> because the, it, the the letters from the organization are incredibly, you know, vague and. Oh, here, go sign up for credit monitoring. And then, yeah, like that, that's kind of the, again, the hand waving that goes on 
um, as far as like, how do you protect yourself is, it's very difficult, especially as a non-technical person, right? It's one, one thing to, you know, be able to know how to freeze your credit, unfreeze, like go in and actually run through some of those activities. But as a non-technical person, I, you know, I think like previous generations that didn't grow up with this much, I don't even want to say control or just this much access to technology, uh, it's, it's an overwhelming, um, yeah, it's an overwhelming thing to confront, right? Uh, you know, and then they start getting calls from Microsoft that their computer is hacked, right? That's, that's probably the next step is they start to get calls from scammers on top of this and they know about them and, you know, money's going to get lost. So, well, I mean, what do you recommend then? Like, what do you tell those people that come to you, Daniel? Like, what do you tell them to do? Unfortunately, uh, very little um, besides filing a police report, uh, if, if they can, right? Yeah. I, I, I've had conversations where they have had money taken away from them. Uh, good thing that, uh, you know, there is ways to reverse it in the traditional banking system. Um, and they have not converted it into Monero. Uh, yeah. <laughs> not yet. Not yet, anyway. Not yet, but uh, but yeah, you know, the only thing you could really do is file a police report and get your identity documents changed if you can. Uh, talk to your bank, say that you are like, and, and that's the that's the even more frustrating thing, right? Even if you were tech savvy, like, have you had to navigate your bank telling mm-hmm. them your identity got stolen? Yeah. <laughs> like threat model that for a moment, right? Yeah. If you lose who you are and you can't prove who you are. Yeah. Yeah. How do you actually change any of that? How do you So hypothetically, yeah. somebody like very quickly threat model this. If somebody got hold of your email account and your primary phone number that you banked with. Yeah. Now, how do you <laughs> How do you come out from that? <laughs> Even if you had your photo ID <laughs> or yeah. your social security number, right? You you had that social security card. You go like, hey, this is who I am. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, going into a branch to physically change some some of that. I I don't know if you could if you could actually get the bank to do that in a quick mat in a you know fast enough that. Um, or quickly enough to prevent, you know, ongoing breach, right? Ongoing breach of the same account, or especially before someone's drained you, drained that money and taken it away. It's a, it's a daunting problem, and we don't have good solutions for that, right? Like we don't have, uh, you know, banks of people waiting it, um, or like, yeah, and help a help desk that is specifically targeted to breaches or identity theft. You're, you're calling the same number as everyone else that is dealing with, hey, I just want to transfer money between two accounts or I forgot my password, right? Like, that's the same level of support that you're going to get. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, like, I don't have a good solution for any of this, right? I, and I know it's a little, you know, nihilistic, like, oh, oh, well, right? Like, you know, but uh, there, isn't, there isn't a lot of good recommendations that you can give people yeah, on where I mean, to turn. They're, they're, um that one guy uh, in, in, in Slack. I was like, yep, 
there is a, a, already a lot of blockbusters about it. But yeah, blockbusters are one thing. Having to actually deal with it, um, it's worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, I mean, a lot of us do end up, especially uh, the consultants who watch this. <clears throat> I, I know a few consultants who watch this. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you're in that place providing advice, you know, maybe have that second order effects and have those conversations with your stakeholders and go like, hey, what about, you know, like we are looking at AppSec. How does our application, how does our system actually afford yeah. material impact like this? And yeah. I guess, yeah. Well, and, and then it goes back to, right, like, all right, you, you come up with a solution. So I'm looking specifically at the Uber, you know, at hack, right? There was a spear phishing attempt against, like, he went and found credentials, like whoever that, that slapsis hacker was, right? Um, and it's coming out that was somebody in the UK um, and just a young kid. But basically, they, they got breach data, credential data for a specific Uber engineer, attempted to log in as them. And it required MFA or 2FA, a token, to be approved. And so it would pop up on this security engineer's or whoever's phone. Hey, you know, is this you? And he clicked no over and over and over again. And eventually got so sick of clicking no because the attacker was trying again and again that he clicked yes, right? So he had like notification fatigue. Um and once he said yes, then there was other things that happened and he was able to get in and see some, you know, pages that had plain text credentials. And so there was other things that happened after the fact, but the initial, you know, security controls that existed failed because of the way that they notified and what happened with that security engineer. And I can't say that other people in an organization wouldn't have also clicked yes in that situation. Right. They would think that MFA was misfiring. Something's, you know, uh, some system's gone wrong. I'm trying to log in or whatever. And, uh, you know, oh, I'm just going to click yes. And then you go on with your day and you don't realize you were breached. So, and, yeah. and a lot of this is very hard to think about and qualify and even think, like, even dream up the scenario because there's a lack of imagination. Um, unfortunately, we as a society have started to condition everyone that thinking like an attacker or finding unintended uses for things as criminal. Yeah. Um, hacking is not a crime. Yeah. Um, and, and I think we just need to, as a community, start shifting that conversation a bit more that you know, we, we need to normalize that hacking is not a crime. Doing crime is a crime. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, performing an attack like that is a crime. And being able to say, hey, um, we found a weakness, uh, we found an unintended behavior that we have, you know, managed to use, uh, like opening, you know, a can of paint using a screwdriver, that's unintended use of a tool. Yeah. Um, but, you know, having that in mind and actually just reacting the right way is that, oh, okay, didn't think of that. <laughs> um, yeah. Is this going to be a problem for us? Uh, if it is, if it is, then, you know, like, okay, cool. Now we, we have a new scenario or consideration to make. Yeah. And I think that's where, like, um, having that conversation that 
normalizing thinking about unintended behavior. I I had a actually very amusing conversation this evening and go like with somebody who when I mentioned, well, there are people who would like to try unexpected things with the API endpoints um, and access data because it's there. Mm -hmm. And this person's mind would just expose like, <sighs> like they couldn't fathom that somebody would not use it for its intended purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was like almost a religious moment. I was like, oh no, this is sinful kind of. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it just, I guess, reminded me that I think there is also that cultural normalization, not just the technical. So we, we did talk about the technical bits. We did talk about the internal and external controls bits, but also I think culturally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, and I mean, it goes back to the Crocs and Socks, but it's also, yeah, you're, you're right. We are... We are culturally like groomed to, you know, okay, you follow the rules, you only use this in this one way, right? Like that's, you know, to, to function as a society, that's what people have to do. And so we don't always think about the edge cases. And I mean, I think you and I, and I'd argue Ken and a lot of people that listen to the podcast, we do, we do live in that headspace of, huh, like what happens when we use this in an insecure manner or when we like change this ID parameter or whatever else it is, are those controls in place? Because we have to think about it. Um, but a lot of the culture isn't right. Like you talk to developers, you know, I talk to developers all the time that, you know, these are unintended consequences because they only imagine this like, okay, this is the one functional way that I use this application and I use this endpoint no one else would ever use it in a different way because that would be hacking and illegal and uh, right? taboo. Like, taboo. <laughs> yeah. It's more taboo than illegal. It's just like, yeah. you don't do that. Um, which is, which leaves these, these holes wide open for those that would actually try it. And it becomes super liberating, like bringing back to apps, right? When in conversations with developers going like the, the, the light bulb moment, right? Where they go like, wait, oh my god, I could do this. Yeah. <laughs> like I can think of ways to completely destroy this and do things like, oh, this this app that I just wrote can definitely kill somebody. So like, yeah, I'd like to know about how. <laughs> Let's have a conversation if we can put some controls around that, please. Yeah. <laughs> and, yep. and and just the liberty of like, huh, wait, I can I I can think about the bad things as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, that kind of goes back to not only like this, the technical testing that we do, right. But to your point about threat modeling and thinking about the risks up front of, you know, when something goes wrong. And I know there's other industries and other culture, like, um, like you look at something like mining or heavy equipment or construction, like, and even, you know, like civil engineering, they have to think about all of the edge cases or people die, right? Like that is what happens. Um, and so they've gotten really good at building out checklists and thinking about um, threats, right? Physical threats. And we just haven't, we haven't grown up as much in the, in the software space, in the, you know, in the online space, the virtual space to take those same things into account. I think we're getting there, but, you know, we're still very culturally, 
um, expected to only follow the, you know, the one path. Yeah. It's, 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 it's really interesting to see technology evolve and that maturity because with something like civil engineering. So I I, I recently did an engagement with a civil engineering and engineering Uh firm. Um, Timelines are tens, five to 10 years. Mm -hmm. But when we are talking about AppSec projects, um, two two week sprints. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yes. (laughs) Two week sprints, which needed to be done last week. Uh, (laughs) Um, with a um, six weeks epic, uh, and we're shipping. <laughs> yeah, we're we're shipping the, the 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 alpha to prod. Yeah, because we're agile. Yeah, we're agile. Yep. So, and and there there is that certain level of mystique that comes mm-hmm. with um, things that we can do with tech, right? The, you see that multiplier, the 10x multiplier in terms of like social network effects and all these technology effects, but are we moving too fast, right? Yeah, um, it's, it's going to be a fine line, right? Like we're going to have to walk a fine line because we do want that technology to take effect. We don't want to wait five years for a new app to come out because technology <laughs> will have changed, right? I, it, yeah. And <laughs> Yeah, I I don't I don't know how we uh, yeah I don't necessarily I, know think we you know we, we don't have to solve it all today but it's all an interesting like thoughts exercise you know to to come up with the scenarios and yeah with the problems that we currently see. So. I mean, we are we are, we are doing you know like code reviews and conversations on DevSecOps and improving flows, and the more I see it, the more I learned from manufacturing, from health sciences, from civil engineering. Yeah. Um, there are so many things that other professions have solved. Um, that is just it just mind blowing, I guess. It's it's a way to phrase it of how much we can learn from all this past. And it, it it's just kind of like a bit exciting if, if there's a way to take the lessons that they have learned and go, ah. Yep. Maybe if we start thinking of technology in those concepts. Yeah. Right. Well, and I've always, like, we, we've always said that, uh, like, the space needs to get bigger, right? We need experience from people that aren't traditional, like, software developers or, right? Like, if we get people coming in from the civil engineering side or from the law side or whatever, you know, whatever, whatever their background is, they're going to bring us all up because they will they'll bring some of those experiences with them. They'll bring that knowledge of, oh, well, we solved these problems in this manner in this other industry, like healthcare, right? Like you think about like the checklist, the idea of, oh, I want to make sure that I do the same thing every single time and do it in a safe manner. I'm going to create a checklist because people are bad at actually remembering what they need to do, right? That's a, that's a very simple thing and a very simple concept to take into play here. But it fits very easily into what we do on a daily basis. Um, so, and as much as we want the best checklist, checklist works. That's why we have pre-flight checklists. We have safety yeah. checklists. Yep, but they also, do. Yeah, and just to echo that, like um, Bisa Smelbourne, um, there was a speaker who transitioned in from being a nurse into uh-huh. cybersecurity, and this person was a bit baffled as to why we don't have something like a residency 
system. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, wait, you're expecting me to learn all of this while delivering full-time equivalent? <laughs> but who's training me? Who's showing me how to do it? Who's letting me observe? Yeah. <laughs> YouTube. Being done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, within the context that we can actually have a meaningful conversation. Um, it's like in being a nurse, uh, shout out to whoever that speaker was. Sorry, forgot your name. <laughs> but being a nurse, you know, you have, you have that residency. Being a doctor, you do that one-year residency to pick up. Yeah. Is it time? I- yeah, no, it, yeah. I know. Yeah. I mean, it, it is right. Like, it, it's just like this space has exploded. And no one like I know from my perspective, you know, if, you know, trying to you're, you're trying to walk this fine line, you know, running a small like consulting shop, right? You know, having people billable so we can pay the bills in order to, you know, to pay more people. It's like this slow growth in order of, OK, we want to train up on a new technology or train someone up who is junior, that means that we take away from billable time, not only for the junior person, but from like a senior person to help them get to that point. Even though it's going to be worth it in the long run, it's very difficult to justify those costs. Um, But then it also partially feeds into the fact that everyone thinks that a penetration test should be done in two days and should cost them, you know, a thousand dollars, right? Like it's just like this unrealistic expectations, but it goes back to that security too, right? Like, Hey, in civil engineering, it's going to be secure. That bridge is going to hold people up, but we're spending, you know, six months designing that bridge and thinking about everything, all the security implications and physical features that need to exist in order to make sure that it is secure. Um, We just don't do the same thing in the, on the software space. So it's like expectations and managing expectations versus reality and like implementing all those things. And and maybe at the risk of it sounding political, (laughs) maybe this, you know, cybersecurity needs to evolve the way healthcare has where, you know, it's not just purely on the private sector or, Yeah. Uh, <laughs> to fund it, uh, however you feel about that, um, you know, whether it's insurance, whether it's private sector or a mix of both, whatever system it is, maybe that that needs to change a bit because, like, as much as, you know, it's unreasonable to say, you know, $1,000 two-day pen test of this new mobile app that we're launching, um, but if that's a small indie game studio mm-hmm. that is two persons that have been working on it for the past five years. Yeah. Right? <clears throat> like Among Us or, you know, yeah. whatever. Um, <laughs> there is no money to be paid. Yep. Yeah. Uh, as in, they can't afford that. So where does that leave them? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like the the one percent don't need help. Yeah, right? they can just you know sure we'll hire Mendian to, to solve our problems, right? Yeah. Um, but the ninety five, the ninety nine percent, I'd say, can you you know like even sign a contract because minimum contract value is above say ten k yep. for a lot of places. Yep. Right. 
Yeah, it's a. I mean, it's it's a hard problem. I uh, we'll see where it actually goes to. Um, I don't know if I. I don't know if, especially in the states, I don't know if there's appetite for the you know the the public sector to get involved there. But I do know that like they actually like the public sector does do you know penetration testing like on their assets. But again, they're getting private to come in and do that in a lot of cases. Um, but there is you know on the defense side of things, you know, that there are stipulations and, you know, certain uh, regulations that are in place, right? Like, you know, having known CVEs in a product nowadays is a, is a no-no for any product that you're selling to, you know, to the defense contractors or to the defense department. Right. Um, But how far down the, like how far down the supply chain, right? Does that go? Yeah. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead, Daniel. <laughs> yeah, no, no. It's basically that. Like, how far down the supply chain does that go? And if it starts hitting, like, the two-person uh, software shop, you know, mm-hmm. that is a small business, or because you know this is an open-source project that they are supporting. <laughs> yeah. Where did that go? Yeah. Well, no, that and that's been the pushback that we've had, right? Like, there was a you know because they came out and they said, oh, you can't like sell like you can't sell products to these, you know, these government agencies if they have open CVEs in them, right? And that's been the pushback is, okay, well, what does that look like? Because does that mean that this two-person shop has to then hire a security person to patch vulnerabilities in open source products because they happen to depend on Linux or something else, right, as an embedded system? It's just this, it's, it's a huge snarl to actually figure out. I think the 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 most hilarious one I saw was um somebody sending a um the a sec a security questionnaire uh yeah <laughs> uh to an open source project yeah and go like yep. um we use your open source project uh we demand our lawyers demand that you uh fill in this uh security assessment questionnaire uh and return this to us within 48 hours yeah uh-huh. yeah that's gonna happen on a project that hasn't you know there's been no commit for two years right like that's yeah <laughs> good and you luck. go like it's an open source project yep. feel free to answer it yourself yep. and uh submit a pull request thank you yeah. very much thank you very much yes. <laughs> sweet all right, Daniel. Yeah. Well, I know we've been talking for a while, so uh, we'll go ahead and uh, you know call it for today. I appreciate you jumping on last mm-hmm. minute. Um, for those of you that are listening, uh, Daniel filled in because you know Ken was Ken's been out sick, and so we we still wanted to talk, especially about the Optus breach, obviously because that's where we spent the majority of our time. Um, but if you're ever in Melbourne, hit Daniel up because it's you know great to go out and get some food and talk and drinks about security stuff um, and, hopefully, coffee. and coffee yes melbourne specifically lots of melbourne coffee lots of <laughs> melbourne coffee i need to get back down there just for that coffee fix so um yeah but jump into our slack channel if you've got further questions or discussions you know that you want on that um appreciate all the responses and, and daniel i appreciate the time it's good to catch no up um, been a pleasure thank you yeah. for having me Yep. Any last minute thoughts before we call it? Stay secure. <laughs> <laughs>
Good luck. Good luck. Good luck. Yeah. Monitor Good luck. your credit, folks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Bye. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.